thank you for the cross. I pray that we would uh, we would come before it. We'd be humbled by it. We'd be strengthened by it. Um, I pray you speak through Michael. You just open our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would turn to John chapter 12, and while you were doing that, I'm going to relight this center candle this morning, which is the candle that represents Christ. As we talk about several things this morning, including us, I want us to be reminded that really our focus this morning is on Christ. It always is and always should be. Um, tempted just to stop and say that that the line in the, in the chorus of the song, um, that prayer, rid me of myself, um, if that would be our prayer for 2015, we would probably go a long way in looking more like Jesus uh, by this time next year. But if we could be rid of ourselves. Um, we are taking a break from the statement of faith uh, for a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about some things for the coming year. But first, a question. What is this? An apple. We have one answer. We agree with that? Okay. That's not all it is, and we'll, we'll get to that, but just want to keep in mind this, this is an apple, but it's a whole lot more than that, which we'll see in just a moment. I'll put that there for you to look at as we talk. So John chapter 12 this morning. Um, I want to read it, and then what I want to do is I want to zoom in and look at the trees Kind of just a very quick walkthrough of each verse. And then I want to back up and look at a, at a big picture uh, and help us make some plans for 2015. So John 12, beginning in verse 20, this is the, the last week of Jesus' life. He is in Jerusalem. And the following takes place, beginning in verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to, to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. ask that you would use it to strengthen our hearts, pray that you'd open our ears to hear well, and our minds to understand clearly. Ultimately, God, we ask that you would change our wills to be like you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So first, just to kind of a quick, um, make sure we understand what's actually happening. And then again, we'll back up and, and look at a big picture. Uh, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to, the, to worship at the feast. Uh, Greeks meaning not Jews. Uh, obviously, they were going up to worship. They were what we might call God-fearers or seekers, people who were interested in this Yahweh person uh, and were going up to worship. They wouldn't be allowed into the temple proper. Uh, there was a court of the Gentiles where they could worship from a distance. Uh, some of the Jews would despise them. Others would be glad that they were there. Uh, so a mixed bag. Somewhere along the way, they'd heard about Jesus. 
And so um, in verse 21, they found a guy named Philip. Maybe they'd heard about him too. Maybe they knew who he was. He's from Galilee. A lot of the Greeks lived on the other side of the, the lake from that. But who knows? Maybe they knew this guy. At least he had a Greek name. They felt comfortable. Hey, Philip, we know that you know this Jesus guy. We've heard about him. We'd like to talk to him. And Philip, instead of taking him for some reason, says, I probably ought to go get a friend about this. Better check. Maybe Andrew had Jesus' schedule. I don't know. Argue with the Pharisees at 2. Got an open slot at 3. I don't know what the deal was. Found Andrew, another Greek name, maybe. They both go and find Jesus. Hey, Jesus, there's some folks that want to see you. And then in verse 23, Jesus seems not to be interested at all in either the Greeks or their question or anything else. Um, He just wants to talk about himself. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What that means, what he's talking about in John's Gospel particularly, uh, the hour of glorification is the hour of his death. Um, He not plainly, but he's talking about um, it's time to die. The hour when God is going to be most glorified in me is at hand. I don't know if that's an answer to the question. I don't know if that means I'm busy right now. I'm not sure. But it certainly, if, if I was a disciple sitting there, that answer wouldn't have made sense to me. Um, what's interesting, though, that the time of death, and particularly we know the method of his death, was far from glory or honor. It was uh, a time of shame. The Roman cross was a shameful, despicable act. And yet it is through that shame, through that humility, that Jesus said he's going to be glorified. Verse 24 seems to change the subject. We're not going to talk about the Greeks. We're going to talk about me being glorified. And now I'm going to give you an agricultural lesson that you probably already know. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Uh, most of them probably would have been familiar with that, right? A seed... That's what this is. You can't even see that, right? So maybe in the back. See that? That's a seed, right? And if I like this, I can put it in my pocket and keep it. I can put it on my dresser and hold on to it. But that's all it'll ever be is a seed, right? And the purpose of this seed is not to remain alone. It's not to sit on my dresser. The purpose of this seed, as Jesus says, is for it to metaphorically die, in other words, be buried. It goes away. When you bury it, it, with the right conditions, the right soil, it eventually breaks open, right? And is consumed, used up. Now we, uh, when we lived in Texas, had pecan trees in our yard and had a flower bed. And every spring, I would get pecan saplings coming up because the squirrels would bury pecans and forget where they put them, I guess. Well, I didn't want pecan trees in my flower bed, so you'd dig them up. And if you dig them up early enough, that seed was still there, that pecan was still there, but it was split open, and there's stuff going out of it. If you waited long enough, it would be gone. You couldn't find it, right? And Jesus says, 
if you kill this, in other words, if you bury it, if it's dead, it bears much fruit. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, I asked you a second ago what this is. You agree this was an apple, right? But did you realize this isn't an apple? This is an apple orchard. And a really big one, too. Okay? I'm going to talk about my, one of my favorite subjects this morning a little bit. That's math. Let's say that I took uh, four seeds out of that apple and I planted them, right? Or took one seed, and all that that produced was 20 trees. I mean, 20 apples. Throughout its entire lifetime, that apple tree only produced 20 apples, and each of those apples only had four seeds in it. How many seeds do I have? Well, if it's up there already, he's, that's 80, right? So, first generation, I've got 80 seeds. Now, I could, I could eat some of those apples, right? Or I could plant every one of those seeds, right? And now I've got 80 trees, correct? If, if I take care of them and all goes well, right? Well, let's say that each of those trees only produced 20 apples, and those apples only had four seeds apiece, right? So now how many are we up to? How many? 6,400. 6, well, at some point in time, some of those are going to die, possibly, and for the sake of rounding, because I don't like big numbers with lots of digits, right? So let's say we only have 6,000 trees, or maybe I ate some of those apples. Maybe I ate 100 of those apples, so I have 400 less seeds, right? I've only got 6,000. And if those only produce 20 apples apiece with four seeds, so the third generation of those trees, however long it takes apples to produce, trees to produce apples, three years, right? Is that right? Three years, four years, right? So now we're up to almost half a million, right? Seeds from that one fairly quickly, right? And again, we round down, if I planted 400,000 seeds, each of those produced 20 apples with four seeds apiece, now we're up to several million, right? Correct? And then if I did that one more time, just five generations of a tree producing only 20 apples, which they produce a lot more, and only four seeds again rounding down, then in five generations of trees, I don't have enough room for that many trees, right? That's 2.4 billion trees. Okay? That's what Jesus means when he says, unless something dies, it doesn't bear fruit. I could hold on to that one seed and say, I got an apple seed, right? Or I could eat the apple and then throw the core away, right? And it's not going to grow. You can't even feed it to the chickens. Did you know that? You can't feed apple seeds to chickens? I learned that after we'd fed some of our chickens apple seeds. Um, Apple seeds have cyanide in them. Do you know that? Don't eat apple seeds. I mean, as a human, you have to eat a whole bunch, but it's not good for you. So, Jesus talks about himself in verse 23, and then he gives us an agricultural uh, illustration in verse 24. And if I'm the disciples, I'm scratching my head going, what are you talking about, Jesus? We just have some people who want to talk to you. Can you just give them a parable or something? What, what are you doing? So then in 25, he changes gears again, and he gives them a proverb. Okay, so I'm going to be glorified. You've got to plant seeds for them to grow. Okay, Jesus, we, we know that. We live in an agricultural 
And then he says in verse 25, this kind of this general proverb for humanity, he who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Jesus has said that before. He said similar wording uh, earlier on in his ministry. Mark chapter 8, Matthew 10. We've repeated these words. Okay, Jesus, we, we got that, right? If I want to save my life, I end up losing it. But if I'm willing to give my life away, okay, Jesus, we got it. And then in verse 26, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Uh, serving Jesus in, in John's Gospel, again, is following Him, but not just physically following where He's going, stepping in His footsteps, but following in His ways. And He illustrates that in the next chapter, chapter 13, by washing their feet, by doing the ultimate task in, in that culture of humility, taking the form of a servant and washing dirty, stinky feet and says, this is what it means to follow me, is doing this for one another. Being willing to humble yourself for other people. Okay? So that's the story. That's what happens. And I don't think he ever talked to the Greeks, at least that we know of. And maybe Philip and Andrew left scratching their head going, okay, that's some good stuff, Jesus, but what are you talking about? Right? You haven't answered, you haven't answered my question. Well, the big picture of what Jesus is doing and what we need to understand as we move forward into 2015 is Jesus is giving them a math lesson. That's what he's doing. I'm giving you a math lesson because you need to understand something. You see, the disciples were wanting to bring people to Jesus, and that's a good thing. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to introduce people to Jesus. But their method of introducing people, if you want to say big picture, the kingdom of God, their method of doing that, the, the way they did math was by addition. Okay? They thought the way we're going to grow the kingdom of God is by addition. I'm going to meet someone and I'm going to bring them to Jesus and we'll add them to our list of followers, right? That's what they're going to do. They're going to add to what Jesus is up to. So, bring someone to Jesus, he teaches, does some miracles, he wows the crowd, and they become a follower, right? That's, that's kind of the pattern that's been happening the last three years. The problem with that, though, is you've got to have Jesus around to bring people to him. And if Jesus is in Jerusalem, and there's someone in Galilee, and it's not during a feast, then they've got to get off work to come see Jesus, right? Or if Jesus is up in Galilee, and someone in Jerusalem wants to see him, well, they've got to travel. So what if I live in Rome? What, is my, what are my odds of meeting Jesus through the disciples' method? Zero. It's not going to happen. Ain't nobody going to travel from the capital to the backwoods of Jerusalem to meet this guy. Even if you say he can do miracles, I'm not going that far. Right? Ultimately, the disciples' method of growing the kingdom of God through addition is not going to work. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, wait a minute, guys, here's a different method for growing the kingdom. Nothing wrong with addition. It's just not good enough because there's billions of people on this planet over the course of history. 
And I can't be everywhere at once. But, Jesus says, if you're willing to die, if you're willing to be used up like that seed, then you can bear fruit as well. And I'm going to give you the perfect example. I'm going to die. I'm going to, I'm going to do what we would think is shameful. And God's going to glorify me. And that's the example for you to follow, right? Because then he says, if anyone wishes to hold on to his life, I can hold on to that seed and I can hold on to me and I remain just me. But if I'm willing to give myself away like that seed, I'm going to bear fruit. And while it's true, into eternal life, which I can't imagine, if I'm willing to give up this life and what I hold dear and what I think is wonderful, right, then God's going to do far beyond all that I can think or imagine. Heaven's going to be far more wonderful than anything that I could drum up here, that I could believe in here, that I could hold on to, that I could find wonderful or marvelous or attractive. got to be willing to be used. We've also got to be willing to follow Him. Again, follow in His way. I've got to understand what His ways are. And if I do that, I'll bear fruit. He fleshes that out more in John 15. Now this is just kind of a teaser. But, but what does that mean if I bear fruit? So I want to go through some math again. Not seeds and not apples, but actual people. There are roughly 30 adults that call Christ Community Church home. And what if, let's say, 25 of you decided, you know what, in 2015, I'm, I'm going to find, I'm going I'm to give up what I think is important, and I'm going to decide that what I think is important is imparting what I know about Jesus to somebody else. And I'm going to pick just two people. And I'm going to make it my goal in 2015 and 2016 to pass on what I know about Jesus to two other people. And what if 25 of you did that? Well, at the end of two years you'd have those 25 people plus the two people they imparted stuff into, right? And that makes how many? Makes 75 people, right? And all of a sudden, that's not a... You think, okay, there's the kingdom has expanded. We find someone that doesn't know Christ or is not walking with Christ, and we help them get from point A to point B. All along the way, though, making sure they understand their purpose. Right? Your purpose is not to be a seed and, and sit on a shelf or a pew. Your purpose is to die so that you can bear fruit. So I'm imparting what it means to follow in Jesus' way, and I'm imparting what it means to bear fruit. And so, beginning of 2017, there are 75 people who are following Jesus, right? Well, we know just that... Some people move away and some people fall away. What if we lost 10% of those? So the beginning of, of 2017, we've got 68 folks. And one of those 68 folks is, I'm going to do that again. I'm going to find two more people. 
and I'm going to die to self again, and I'm going to instill what it means to follow Jesus into their lives, and I'm going to do that for two years. Well, two years later, at the beginning of, of 2019, I've got those 68 people, plus now I've got 136 more because I invested in two more people. And so now we've got a little over 200, right? But we lose some of those. We say we lose 10%. So in 2021, I've got 184 people who've invested in two more people. And if we do that, if we kept doing that, 2021, 2023, so 2025 rolls around just 10 years later. That's all, just 10 years. And some of you look back and go, yeah, 10 years isn't very long. Some of you go, I'm not even 10 years old yet. What are you talking about? But in just 10 years, right, that process of not just bringing people to Jesus so they can sit and listen, but teaching them how to die to self so that they bear fruit, then you've impacted 4,000 people. That's a lot of people. Think of what difference that would make in this county if you took 4,000 people, which is about 16% or 14% of the population of this county that weren't walking with Jesus and all of a sudden, 10 years later, were. What would this place look like? What would this town look like? What would your neighborhood look like? But maybe not all of you buy into that. What if only 10 of you did that at the very beginning instead of 25 out of the 30 adults? And that number would drop from a little over 4,000 to only about 1,500. That's still a lot of people. Right? Ten people can make a huge impact over ten years. But for every one person that we pull out of that process, right, multiplication is all of a sudden not as effective as it would have been otherwise. And so the question, really, this morning, is are, are you a fruit picker or a seed planter? Are you a fruit picker or a seed planter? In other words, is your goal in life to just take the apple, get nourished, and then throw the core away? Or is your goal in life to take that little seed which doesn't do me much good sitting on the dresser in my pocket in the trash and plant it? Of course, you know the answer to that question, are you a fruit picker or a seed planter, is yes. Because you can't get this if you don't have this. You have nothing to pass on if you're not nourished by the truth. And so in 2015, the question is, what are you going to do to become better at both of those? Because I can't plant a seed if I've got nothing to plant, if I'm not holding on to a piece of fruit. Well, what does that look like? What does it mean to pick fruit? Well, it means are you being nourished in a relationship with God? Are you spending time on a regular basis with Him in the Word and in prayer? Are you spending time with other believers on a regular basis for encouragement and challenge and rebuke if necessary and fellowship? In other words... 
Are there things that you can be doing, should be doing, spiritual disciplines if you want to call them, that will allow you to learn what it means to follow Jesus, to serve Him? Maybe there's some skills you need to learn. How do I spend an hour in prayer? How do I read, study, meditate on the Word? Are there some skills that you need to learn? Is there just some knowledge that you're short on? Do I need to have a better grasp of this Word? Have you ever read it? Do you understand God's purpose from creation through His second return? Do you understand the big picture of what God is doing? Are there things that if I'm going to pass on the way of of God to someone else, that there's just some knowledge that I need to gain? Maybe there's a character issue that, that 2015 needs to be where you engage in that battle. You know, I've put up with gossip or anger or lust or whatever long enough and it's time for me to engage that battle with the power of the Holy Spirit and put to death that sin. Maybe there's a character issue that before you can begin passing on the way of Jesus, you need to be walking with Jesus, allowing His Holy Spirit to allow you to be successful in life. Are you a fruit picker? And the answer should be yes. It is an ongoing year in and year out, month in and month out, week in and week out, day in and day out, discipline that we need to be nourished by God in His ways, His character, what He looks like, what He acts like, how He talks. We need to be picking fruit. And so maybe in 2015, you're going to decide, I need to get my act together. I need to find someone who will come alongside me and keep me accountable and challenge me and help me, which requires dying to self, admitting that I don't have it all together, admitting that I need help, admitting that I really need, I'm X years old and I don't know how to open this book and study it for myself. requires humility. It requires shame sometimes. I'm not who... Everybody thought I was. But by God's grace, I want to be different at the end of 2015 than at the beginning. And then second, which goes along with that, do I have a plan for becoming a seed planner? Maybe right now you're not in a place where you can pass on things, and maybe you're not in a place where you should pass on things. But that's the goal, because you are a seed And a seed's purpose is not to sit on the shelf or to be thrown in the trash. A seed's purpose is to die and bear fruit. So that's what you've been called to do. There's not anybody in this room who this is not part of what God has called you to do. The question is, what do you need to do in 2015 to get there? And it may simply be that you have all the necessary ingredients. You just need to pray, God, show me somebody that I can pass this on to. Bring two people into my life this year, God, that I can pass on the things of God to and teach them to do that with somebody else. What are you going to do in 2015 to prepare yourself to plant seeds? And it may be just that that wrestling with dying to self. I don't really want to, God. I enjoy my life. I enjoy how I've got it set up. I enjoy 
my stuff or my money or the way that I have my life scheduled. And I really don't want to add the complexity of someone else into my life that I'm responsible for. And it may simply be that you've got to wrestle with God and say, help me to die to self. And if you're in that place, would love to pray with you through that. Because we think that when we humble ourselves, when we die to ourselves, when we become a servant, when we're willing to let go of what we hold dear to serve someone else, to consider them better than ourselves, we think that that, I don't want to do that. It could be shameful. It could be messy. It could be dirty. And here's where we have to remember the promise that Jesus made at the end of what he said. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will also be. Then the last line, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. It's the same idea. Jesus was going to his death, going to a shameful death, and God was going to glorify him. When we choose to be servants, when we choose to die to self, God honors us. And there's not any better honor that we can have than what comes from our Heavenly Father. No pats on the back by uh, our friends can rival what God wants to do in us and through us and for us by His grace and by His mercy. And then when Paul says that he can do far more beyond all that we can ask or think, he actually means that. Paul actually lived long enough to understand that if I do that, the math works out and you see this, this phenomenal spreading of the gospel. And if you read through the book of Acts, you see those, those same words being used. At first, people were just bringing people to the apostles and the numbers were being added to daily. And then later on, as, as they began to scatter and people realized, oh, I can do the same thing that Peter and James and John are doing, then the number of disciples multiplied until finally you get to Acts 17 and you get this Gentile ruler saying the whole world has gone after him. And we see within a generation that literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in the Roman Empire had believed in Jesus Christ. It's not rocket science, but it does require death to our agendas, to our programs, to our plans, to our wishes, to our desires, to our dreams, so that God can honor us and that we can see people's lives changed. We're going to talk about some more specifics of what that looks like next week. That's the big picture. What I would ask you to do this week uh, as we get ready to enter into a new year is to pray, God, what does that look like for me? A serious question, God, where am I in that process of picking fruit and planting seeds? And God, where do you want me to be at the end of 2015? And prayers that that would be your prayer this week. What do you want me to do, God? And then to listen. And then as we gather next week, we'll talk about some specifics. And then I would love for you to find someone else in this room and say, here's what God has spoken to me. Would you help me get from point A to point B? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the blessings of your word. And we thank you, uh, God, that you sent your son to die 
that ultimately has borne fruit in our lives. As you have sought us out, you have pursued us, you have chosen us, you died for us, and you redeemed us, and you made us like yourself. God, I do pray that you would speak to us, that you would reveal our hearts to each of us, and that you would set out a plan for each of us in the coming year of how you would like for us to be more like you as we grow in our understanding of who you are, as we help others do the same. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.